The following message was recorded Wednesday, November 29, 2023. Pastor Ritt continues our study of the book of Ezekiel. Tonight he covers chapter 34. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. We're in Ezekiel chapter 34 tonight because last time we left off at chapter 33. Chapter 33, as you remember, you remember, right? Chapter 33, we're called to be... Watchmen, thank you. Watchmen on the wall. That was 33, right? And now we're in chapter 34. Now remember, this is the judgment against Jerusalem and Judah because they have failed God miserably. And one of the indications that God is judging them as a nation is this ungodly leadership that they have. If you go through the earlier chapters of Isaiah, you'll find out that as God begins to judge the nation, he gives them this ungodly, immoral, corrupt leadership in the government, in religion, in business. And boy, doesn't it seem like that's what we have today? Hmm? Yeah, for certain. But nonetheless, he's going to be talking about these unfaithful shepherds, the rulers, the leaders of Israel, who should have been displaying fidelity towards God and their care for the people that they uh, govern, uh, and that lacked considerably. All they were were very self-seeking, harsh in their attitudes toward the people and had no regard for them and the sufferings that they were going through. So as we pick it up in chapter 34... God is talking about these irresponsible leaders. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And he uses the term shepherds because they were to be overseers governing God's people. These are the rulers and the leaders, both spiritual and, and the civil leaders. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds have fed the flocks? And what they were doing is simply taking care of themselves, not very concerned about the people at all. You know, we would liken that to uh, the leaders in Hamas, right? How much have they cared about the people? No, zero. They just use them for their own personal gain. But yet they sit there lavishly in Qatar, uh, billionaires. Unbelievable. Well, the same thing is true here in the leaders in this country. Do you think they really care about you or I? Do you really do think they No, they don't care. No. And this is what was taking place there. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should they not? Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Yes. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled. They're, they're harsh, they're cruel, they're, they're uncaring and very self-seeking. So they were scattered. What was scattered? The flock, the sheep. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all of the beasts of the field when they were scattered. I, I had a wonderful conversation with a young man this afternoon. And we got into this conversation uh, as to whether he was saved or not. What does it mean to be saved? How do you know that you're saved? And, well, my aunt is my pastor. Oh, I said... <laughs> And that opened up a good conversation for us to have, and I gave him an apologetic, and, and so uh, he took down my information, and hopefully we're going to see him a week from Saturday, you know? But looking forward to it, but I gave him a lot to think about in a few minutes. He said, you've taught me more in just a few minutes than my aunt has in probably the last six months. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> but nonetheless, we, we wanted to make sure he understood what it meant to be saved. What does it mean? 
to have the assurance of salvation, you know? What are you trusting in? What is your faith in, right? Very important. But they were not feeding the flock, and there's so many today, unfortunately, so many false shepherds not feeding the flock of God at all, but feeding themselves. I think of the uh, word of faith people, those false prophets, and uh, there are so many of them. How are they feeding themselves? They're becoming rich. Hmm. If you look at the top 15 uh, richest evangelists in the country, most of them are from the blab it and grab it crowd. Lay me and claim it. Rip it and grip it. Lip it and grip it, you know? It's, it's a shame. And all they're concerned about is their own well-being. And this is exactly what was taking place then. What did we learn from history? Nothing. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all of the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Total disregard for God's people. That's what these leaders were. No regard whatsoever. Now, the description of these false shepherds really epitomize someone who's coming. Who's that? The Antichrist, who will have no regard for God's people, no regard for the people of the earth, really. Go to Zechariah for a minute, chapter 11. Keep your marker here in Ezekiel. Go to Zechariah 11 for a moment. And he truly is the worthless shepherd. He epitomizes and exemplifies this worthlessness. Verse 15 of chapter 11 of Zechariah. Everybody there? Chapter 11, verse 15. We there? Zechariah 11. 11. Chapter 11, verse 15. Second to the last book of the, of the Old Testament. Go to Matthew, and then turn a couple more books to the left, and you're there. Zechariah, chapter 11. Very good. Are you there? Verse 15. Look at verse 15. You there? And the Lord said to me, next, take up, the, take up for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those who still stand, but will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. What is that talking about? Okay, but when we talk about this man of sin that's coming, this, this one who really exemplifies the worthless shepherd, what has happened? Go with me to Revelation, go to chapter 13. Yes, that's exactly right. Chapter 13 of Revelation. Take your time, Leonardo. We'll wait for you, buddy. Nothing more important than we plant the word of God in your heart, right? Yeah. 
And we always want to be able to prove what we believe from the Word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, right? So we're in chapter, what did I say? 13. Let's look at verse 11. And then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he spoke, and he had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. Who's this? Hmm? This is, this is the beast that comes out of the earth, a false prophet. He exercises authority in the, in the presence of the first beast and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, the false prophet is speaking on behalf of the Antichrist. We don't know who the Antichrist is specifically, but we have some idea who we think the false prophet is going to be, right? We talked about that on Sunday. Yeah, the Pope? And the Pope said, the Antichrist is here now. And I said, well, surely he would know, right? <laughs> and it says, and he deceives those who dwell upon the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the first beast, telling those who dwell upon the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he talks about the wounds that he had. Fatal. Now, what it is, is a fake what? Resurrection. It's a fake resurrection. The enemy does nothing. He doesn't have an original thought. He just counterfeits everything God does. There's a holy trinity, and that's who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then there's an unholy trinity, and who's that? Satan, the Antichrist, and a false prophet. Now, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God, due to miss a true resurrection, this is a fake resurrection or a false resurrection, that Satan inhabits the body of this individual, and Satan is actually empowering this body to come. But it's not a true resurrection, as you and I would understand that. It's a fake. That's the real worthless shepherd. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 34. Verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God. This is verse 8 of chapter 34. As I live, says the Lord God, because the flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand. Talking about being watchmen, right? And being held accountable. I will require my flock at their hand, and I will also cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. How would you apply that today? Anything in particular that you'd be thinking about today as you read this? Many people being deceived by these false shepherds. And, and, and then once you don't have enough faith to accomplish whatever it is your expectation is, and then you become shipwrecked, and then you're from wandering, and you're scattered. How many people do you know? Because they didn't receive the healing or didn't receive the monetary blessing or whatever it was that they had an expectation from God that they were claiming. And suddenly it didn't happen now. And now their faith becomes shipwrecked. Why? Because it's dependent upon them. They didn't have enough faith to be healed. These heretics proclaim that you don't even have to die until you're ready to. You can give up the ghost when you're ready, just like Jesus did. You can give up your spirit. Is that possible? No. Who determines our birthday? Who determines our death day? 
God should, right? Amen. So the, these false shepherds are very much like what we have today, you know. And, and very soon the present administration is going to turn on Israel, isn't it? Yeah, even, even now you're reading the reports of what they're trying to do in undermining what the IDF, what Netanyahu and his war cabinet is trying to accomplish. It's amazing, amazing the support that these butchers, these animals, these terrorists have today around the world, isn't it? Hmm. Let's get to some good news. Let's talk about the true shepherd. Verse 11, chapter 34. Thus, for thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my shepherd and seek them out. Or my sheep, excuse me. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all of the places where they were scattered on a dark and a cloudy and a dark day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all of the inhabited places in the country. And I will feed them in good pastures, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. What does this remind you of? I'm sorry? Okay, the millennial reign, but who's the shepherd here? Jesus. Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd. He's referred to as the great shepherd. He's referred to as the chief shepherd of the flock. How many of you are familiar with the shepherd psalms? Leonardo, do you know what the shepherd psalms are? They're the psalms that describe the shepherd of Israel. What are they? 22, 20, that's right, 22, 23, and 24 are the shepherd psalms, right? 22 speaks of the shepherd and his cross, how he gave his life for the sheep. 23 speaks of the shepherd, right, who leads his sheep. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. The shepherd and his crook, you know, the shepherd's crook, shepherd and his cross, shepherd and his crook. 24, the Melech Kabad, the shepherd and his crown, the king of glory. It's interesting how those shepherd psalms really relate to what is said about Jesus being the good shepherd as well. Go to John chapter 10 for a minute. Let's look at there. John's gospel, chapter 10. What did we say that Psalm 22 talked about? The shepherd and his cross. The shepherd and his cross. Chapter 10 of John's Gospel, most assuredly I say to you, he, everybody there? Chapter 10 of John's Gospel? Leonardo, help Dad find that, will you? Very good, very good. He found it? Okay, good, good. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. You chose God or God chose you? He chose you. He called, listen, he's called each one of us by name. Isn't that wonderful? Of all that the Father has chosen to come unto me, they will come unto me. And I will lose 
None, he says. Look what it says. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Yet they will not by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. When you know the Lord and you know the word of God, you know the, the word of God in flesh because of the word of God in print. And when you have a good grasp on the word of God, you can, you can spot a counterfeit immediately. You know exactly when someone's not telling the truth. Although you may not be able to immediately put your finger on the problem, there'll be an unction in your spirit that says something's not right. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. Yeah. Thanksgiving, <laughs> <dinner>. <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. It's sad what, what some people believe. But it's the word of God that will lead you to the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? Whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. My truth shall set you free. My word is truth. The more you know of the word of God, the more discernment you have. What is so lacking today in the church is discernment. Why don't they have any discernment? Because they don't know the word of God. They don't know the word of God. They said that they believe in it. It's so twisted. You know, Gail was having a conversation with a neighbor. That was this morning, wasn't it? Where they were saying that, that there's so many different interpretations. People look at the Bible so many different ways. And then you corrected that person and you said, no, no, no. There's only how many technical interpretations of a text? One. 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 There's only one technical interpretation of every biblical text when you use the proper studying methods, the hermeneutical principles, and then once you discover what the true meaning of the text is, then you can apply it in different ways. But so many people, you know, you torture a text long enough, it'll confess to anything, right? And people do. They'll torture the text. And so, oh boy, don't let me get started on that. Okay, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, because they didn't understand. Look at verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that life they may have it more abundantly. Was that abundant life? Paul talks about it, was it? Godliness with contentment. That is the abundant life, being godly and content. Oh, boy, there's an awful lot of discontent people, especially this time of year. Why would this time of year cause more people to be depressed than any other? Expectations. They don't have what they want. It doesn't that hallmark Christmas. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. I am the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd, right? 
He's the chief shepherd. He's a great shepherd. But here they're talking about the good shepherd. The good shepherd, this relates to Psalm 22, where the shepherd would give his life for the sheep. Look what it says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he is not the shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. You know what you said he was, a hireling? Hmm. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's true, isn't it? There's only one flock. There's only one church. Right? One congregation, one flock, and one shepherd. Everybody else is an under-shepherd working for the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, right? Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now, why do I say this relates to Psalm 22? Well, turn to Psalm 22 for a moment. The shepherd's psalm... 22 is the shepherd and his cross, cross, because this, centuries before Jesus was crucified, this is the spirit of prophecy speaking through the psalmist to declare the suffering of the Messiah. First verse of the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said that? And when did he say that? On the cross. First words out of his mouth on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God forsake him? First time in his eternal existence that he would be forsaken for the Father. The real suffering of Jesus wasn't physically on the cross. The real suffering was relational when God turned his back on the Son because he took upon himself the sins of the world. He had never, ever, ever been separated from his Father before, but now he's going to be separated. There's an eternal separation that happened on the cross that you and I don't understand. I can't wrap my mind around it, but what is... What is our sin? The punishment of our sin? What are we deserving of? Death. What kind of a death? Eternal. eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Did Jesus not pay the price for our sins? Yeah. And in a way that I don't understand, and I probably won't until I get to heaven, it'll probably take a millennium for him to help me understand it, but he suffered an eternal death on my, half, on my behalf and yours. Separated from God the Father. Never happened before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, look, um, verse 16, for the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Is that what happened? Yeah, when they crucified him. Now, this is, this is long, this is centuries before crucifixion was a form of capital punishment. And then what does it say? I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. What does that mean? He counts all the bones. Why is that significant? Because not a bone of his body should have been broken as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice offered to God. No broken bones. This is amazing. The last part of the psalm, this is amazing. The first words that Jesus spoke, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? What's the last thing he said? The last thing he said was to tell us thy, meaning it is. Look at this. Look at the last words of this psalm, Psalm 22. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. Born again, right? 
Yeah, through his righteousness, right? But what does it say? That he has done this. Literally, in the Hebrew text, if you go to the Hebrew grammar, it is finished. It's done. Wow. Wow. All right, so what are we saying here? The good shepherd, right? of John chapter 10, because Jesus is the good shepherd, relates to this psalm, Psalm 22, the shepherd and his cross. We said he's not only the good shepherd, he is the great shepherd, right? He's the great shepherd of the flock. Where do we find that? That's right, Hebrews chapter 13. Go there. Very good. Leonardo, where'd you get all this information? How do you know all this? Your dad teach you all this? Hmm? Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. He's a good, good daddy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because he's got a good, good daddy too, doesn't he? Who's his good, good daddy? God the Father, right? Yeah, the Father of us all. Verse 20, chapter 13 of Hebrews. Everybody there? No? Now wait. Chapter 20, now may the God of peace, Jehovah, shalom, shalom. <laughs> I said, I said, that young man said he was trusting in the name. I said, who, the man I was talking to this afternoon, he said, I said, what was the name? He said, Yeshua. Are you Yeshua? Are you Yeshua? Are you Yeshua? Y Yeshua. Yeah, Yeshua. <laughs> I said, well, what does it mean? Uh, well, it's, what's the English translation? Yeshua. Yeshua? Joshua. I said Joshua. But what is the Hebrew that was translated to Yeshua? It's Jehovah Shua. And what does it mean? I am salvation. Wow. That's what his name means. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's what I was telling this young man. Now may the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great, what is he? The great shepherd. Right? He's a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Listen, how, how could you possibly fulfill this, what he's talking about here? How can that possibly happen? Where do you exercise your free will more than any place else? Where? In your sanctification. That's right. Sanctification means you're becoming more and more like Jesus, more righteous, more holy, living the kind of a life that pleases God. How does that happen? By yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing him every single, every single day I wake up, I'm completely dependent upon him or this monster is going to show up. Is that not true? Yes. You think I'm a monster? <laughs> but it is true. It is, it's true. Every, listen, every single day I awake, I know I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit to help me to be the man that God wants me to be, to be Christ-like. Otherwise, I don't have that opportunity. And that's what I was telling that young man today, too. I said, before salvation, I had no opportunity to serve God. I could only serve my flesh and the desires of my flesh. Now, now I have the Holy Spirit living within me. Now I can yield to the Holy Spirit and become Christ-like, become a good godly man and the power of Christ, right? The power that do him is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raises in our life to create the new creation, right? 
That's what he's referring to here. Now, we said this is the great shepherd, and what psalm would that relate to? Psalm 23. Look at Psalm 23. We're talking about the, the good shepherd of Psalm 22, lays down his life for the sheep, the, the great shepherd of the flock, provides everything. For the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, that's where we are. Everybody knows that psalm, don't they, by heart. For the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my leader. The Lord is my king. The Lord is my savior. The Lord is my sovereign. Therefore, I shall not... Why? I'm living the abundant life. What is it? Godliness and contentment. The shepherd will provide everything I need. My perfect protection. He will guide me. He will provide for me. He will protect me. Is Jesus your ever becoming one? Uh, again, you know, in just a few minutes, I can't believe how much I had of a conversation I had with this young man. Uh, he, he was the supervisor of the lawn crew, and so he could spend the time with me. I said, you got to, he says, yeah, I'm the super. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> I said, do you know how many names there are for God in the Bible? But all of it speaks of how God wants to become your ever-becoming one. Whatever you need him to be, he is. Isn't that what God said to Abraham? Abraham, I am your everlasting reward. And whatever you need me to be, Abraham, I am. And then when you look at all the names of God, you went through that with all the ladies, didn't you? Did you go through all the names? No, how could you, right? Yeah, it take months. But every single name, I'm sorry? Very good. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that true? Is it, did you, have you experienced that, that Jesus is sufficient? He's enough? The great shepherd of the flock? Right? Look what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his protection, provision and protection, I will fear no evil. We Listen, these Catholics, they're so afraid of evil because evil has taken overtaken. Are you afraid of the devil? No. Okay, no, uh, no fear of the devil or his demons. Why? Because I'm under the witness protection program, right? I'm his witness, and I'm under his protection. When you're walking in the will of God, as much as you know, as much as you're able, you have nothing to fear. If you're playing with sin, if you're playing with fire, then you have a reason to be concerned. You can't take fire to your bosom without being burned. It's true. But when you're, when you're in right relationship with God, there, there is, oh boy, there's nothing more, more peaceful. The safety, the contentment. The enemy could take our life, but what is that? I, I said to that young man what I say so often, you know, if you're born once, you die. But if you're born twice, you die. Wow. I, I said, that, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, come and join me on Saturday morning. Now, I don't want to get you in trouble with your aunt. <laughs> His aunt was the pastor of the church. And I said, but you come. And I'll teach you more in six months than you'll learn in your life, young man. So we'll see what happens. Pray for him. Cario. Cario was his name. Macario is his full name, but he goes by Cario. I hope to see him again. He was really listening. Where am I? Psalm 23. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When did that happen? What, what, what Old Testament example? Joshua. 
Didn't go to Jericho yet, but Joshua crossed over the Jordan before they had the Battle of Jericho. God says, Joshua, there's something we need to take care of right now. These folks haven't celebrated the Passover, nor have these men been. Oh, and you want me to do what? Oh, rendering them helpless for three days. But they celebrate the Passover in the presence and all the enemy, all of the enemies of Israel up on the foothills looking down. But God protected them. Hey, we are very vulnerable, aren't we? Do you, know, do you understand your vulnerability? But aren't we glad we're under his protection? Yeah. As long as we come to the table in a worthy manner, communion that we celebrate of the Lord, that fellowship with the Lord, not just a Wednesday night uh, each month, but, but just a continual communion with the Lord. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever, as Billy Graham would say. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Oh, boy. Mm. Gail and I were just talking yesterday. You know, it's been 17 Christmases that we've missed them, haven't we? Oh, but one day, one day we're not going to miss a day forever being with him. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. The shepherd and his cross, the shepherd and his crook, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. What was the last one? The chief shepherd. Where is he called the chief shepherd? First Peter. Peter, that's right. Chapter 5. Turn there. First Peter 5. First Peter? Peter? Oh, it was Peter? <laughs> I remember I was down at the Citadel speaking to the commandant, um, and, and, and he, he said, yeah, he's a Christian, he's a Christian. And then he, he quoted scripture, and he said, yeah, like Timothy wrote. You know what Timothy wrote? Did Timothy write that? No, no, it was Paul that wrote that, you know? <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I, mean, I thought I'd better not correct him. You know, he had too much authority over my son at that time. <laughs> But Peter wrote this. Now, Peter is the first. <laughs> now that, that, that's what they believe, don't they? They, they? they believe that Peter is the first pope. Was Peter the pope? No, 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 no. Did Peter ever see himself as anything more than who he was, a fisherman that was saved by grace through faith? No. Look at what he writes here. Chapter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort... I, who am a fellow, didn't see himself as superior, as any more important, but surely not less important, right? And, and so we should esteem others higher than our own selves, right? A fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory which shall be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. This is precisely what our responsibility is. For, for all, listen, for all of us, we have a responsibility to shepherd the sheep that are under our charge. Who's under your charge? Nick? Leo and Beckett. Leo and Beckett. And Michelle, right? Those are, those are the sheep of your flock, right? And you've, you've, got, you've got to shepherd them just as, as a pastor would shepherd the flock that he ministers to. Each one of us have a responsibility. Who do you have a sphere of influence over? That's who you're to shepherd, to care for, to love, to provide, to protect. Hmm? 
shepherding the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. The, uh, this is the word episcopos, where we get the episcopalian, right? It's a bishop or a pastor. Not by compulsion, not being forced to, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. This is precisely what he's contrasting in chapter 34. The unworthy shepherds with the one worthy great shepherd, right? The good shepherd, the true shepherd of the flock. Amen? Yeah, and why should you be there? You know, what motivates the shepherd to continue to minister unto the sheep? I'm sorry? Yes, love for God. You know, uh, I forgot what the statistic was on how many pastors are leaving the ministry on a regular basis. And most leave the ministry for a half a dozen of disgruntled people, you know? Listen, you, you, you're, you're, as a shepherd, you're, you don't exist for the sheep. You exist for the chief shepherd, right? The pastor has to do what he does, and any of us in our responsibility, like I minister to my ewe lamb here, and in ministering to her, I, my responsibility is, is, is before God to be rightly ministering to her. That's our motivation. And if that's not your motivation, you won't last. Something, some disappointment, some unmet expectation will cause you to want to resign. That's what he's talking about here. But what does he say? Look, look. Nor being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when what? The chief shepherd appears. You will receive the crown of glory, which does not fade away. What psalm did we say relates to this as the chief shepherd now? The good shepherd was Psalm 22. The great shepherd of the flock, Psalm 23. The chief shepherd and his crown. Look at, chapter, look at 24, Psalm 24. Let's go there. <clears throat> Who is this? Malek Kabad. Anybody here ever hear the song by Third Day? King of Glory? Yeah. Only when Dirk. <laughs> oh, David Dirk used to do a great job with that song, didn't he? Yeah. And, and huh? Terry Blackman sang it. We, we got that recording. It's fantastic, you know. But just the same. Now, Dirk, Dirk's not in a good place. He didn't stay with the King of Glory. You know. Sad how many people can walk alongside us for a time and then they fall away because they were looking for something other than what Jesus really offers us. Mm. But look at Psalm 24. I remember... Um, Studying through this psalm one morning, I, was, I had to go up to Hendersonville. I was on the board of the church up there at the time, and I was traveling up there that, later on that morning. I knew I would be. But in my study time that morning, I studied through Psalm 24 and studying about the Malek Kabad. That's what it means, the king of glory. And then Mark Collette, he was on the worship team at the time, and Mark Collette gave me the third day CD. And that song was on that CD, King of Glory. And as I went through uh, 25 north of Greenville, I'm heading up towards North Carolina, and that song goes on the radio, and I can't even drive anymore. I have to pull over because I'm just basking in the glory of my king. Now, not that the song brought me there, but my study of the word and then hearing the song brought me to that place. 
and I'll never forget it. Hmm? No. What does it say here? For the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Mm. Listen, we need to be authentic. We need to be genuine. We need to be, we talked about that on Sunday, right? The worst kind of deception is self-deception. To be self -de So many people are deceived in thinking they're in a relationship with God that they're not. And how can I have clean hands? How can I stand before the Lord in the righteousness of Christ alone? But let there not be any hypocrisy, not entertaining any kind of rebellion, any kind of sin in my heart or in my life. Amen? No idols. Oh, I talked to that young man about idols today, too. We had a good talk. No, not lifted up his soul to an idol, materialism, sexual immorality, whatever it might be, nor sworn deceitfully, honest. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Why did he say Jacob and not Israel? Why did? That's right, because we're, we're, all, we're all Jacobs, dirty, rotten scoundrels, right? But God has changed us. God has reformed us. God has given us his righteousness. Mm. And he is the God of Jacob who, who turns us, transforms us into the Israel of God, that intimacy with God. Jacob is the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, for the king of glory, Melech Kabad, shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Yeah. It's good for you and I to put our focus not on ourselves, not on what's going on in the world, although I, I, you know, I'm always trying to interpret world events from the biblical perspective. That's why I watch the news so much and read the news and always wanting to see what God is doing because he told me ahead of time what he was going to be doing, right? But we need to focus more than, ever, than anything else on our shepherd, the true shepherd of the flock. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He's the one who gave his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd who provides for us and protects us. We shall not want. And he is the chief shepherd. He alone is king, the Lord of lords and king of kings. That's who we worship. Amen? So when we... Go back and read Ezekiel 34 again and pay particular attention to the last half. The true shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Let's finish it. Go back there, Ezekiel 34. Don't you love the way the Old Testament and New Testament just dovetails? How it all just so fits together so beautifully. 
Verse 15, chapter 34, I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken, strengthen those that were sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in, in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep and between ram and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture? He's talking about these worthless shepherds that you must tread down with your feet, the residue of your pasture, and to have drunk of the clear waters that you must follow the, the residue of your feet, follow it with the residue of your feet. Verse 19, but as for my flock, they eat what I have trampled with your feet. They eat what you have trampled with your feet and drank what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted with all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. They were abused and persecuted and tortured. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and they shall feed, and he shall feed them. My servant, David, David shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant, David, David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. How's that going to happen? David's going to sit upon his own throne. Turn with me to chapter 37. Chapter 37, Ezekiel's prophecy goes out to the millennial reign of Christ. All right, now we're all going to come together. Is David dead? No, David's alive. David is alive and well. Look at chapter 37. Go to verse 24. Well, go to 23. For they shall not defile themselves anymore with idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of the transgressions, but I will deliver them from all of their dwelling places in which they have sinned. I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Who does all this work? God did. We didn't save ourselves, and we can't clean ourselves. I thank God for his saving grace. I thank God for his sanctifying grace. I thank God for his glorifying grace. He does it all from beginning to end, Alpha and Omega, right? The author and the finisher of our salvation. Look at verse 24 now in particular. This is the millennial reign where Christ is coming back, and we'll talk more about this when we get into the latter portions of Ezekiel, because we're, listen, this is being fulfilled in our day. 36, 37, 38, and 39. Now, 36 and 37 have been completed. They're fulfilled. 38 and 39 yet to be fulfilled very soon. But look what he says here in chapter 37, verse 24. David... David, my king, shall be, be David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall all walk in my judgments and observe all of my statutes and do them, and then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where their fathers dwell, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, their children's children. When? How long? Forever. And my servant David shall be their prince for how long? Forever. Oh, wow. Now, do you understand? Listen to me. Think about that. There are, there are a lot of people today who are embracing Reformed theology, and most people who embrace Reformed theology embrace replacement theology. And replacement theology says that God is done with Israel. God's got no future plan for Israel. 
But the church is now. God's only got two peoples, Old Testament and the church. Old Testament and the church. Is that true? No. God definitely, most certainly, has a future plan for Israel. Now, it's, 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 it's unique, and it's separated from his plan for the church, okay? But he has a plan for Israel here on earth. And who's going to reign over Israel in Jerusalem on the throne? David. David's going to be king over the Jewish people once again. Is that not amazing? And how long is he going to be king? Forever, because he's going to be resurrected. And who's going to be the prince, the God of Israel? Jesus Christ himself. This is what he's saying here. Look. Moreover, I will make a covenant of a peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. What's the sanctuary going to be? Himself. Jesus himself. Yes. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also shall know that I, the Lord, sanctify the church. What does it say? Israel and my sanctuary is in the midst of them for how long? Forevermore. Back to Ezekiel 34. Let's finish up. Verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace, just as he said just a moment ago. I will make a covenant of peace with them. This is the thousand-year reign of Christ, and cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness, sleep in the woods. David, did you sleep in the woods when you were out there a few weeks ago? Did you? Yeah, yeah. They'll sleep in the woods, and you feel safe? Somewhat, right? right? But at this time, there's no reason to be concerned. Sleep in the woods and feel safe and feel protected, right? I will make them, verse 26 now, chapter 34, I will make them and the places all around them my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there shall be showers of blessing, latter rain, the former rain, then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. Does Israel feel safe today? No. And all the nations of the world are going to come against Jerusalem. Everybody is screaming out and demanding a two-state solution, which is going to bring about God's judgment upon the Gentile powers and the United States. It's, it's forcing Israel to agree to a suicide pact. Do they, and then, does appeasement work? No, don't ever appease with this guy. Never. There's a rebel in there. You need, you need to work with the Holy Spirit to conquer that rebel, right? You're going to become a good boy. You're not one yet, are you? Uh, no. no, no, but you're going to become one. And with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and your Father, it's going to work, right? <laughs> Appeasement doesn't work. It didn't work in the Middle East in 2005 when, when Ariel Sharon forced all those Jews come out of Gaza and they gave Gaza over to, the, to Hamas, to the Palestinians. Did it work? Did they get peace? What did they get in return? Cool. When they say from the, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, what are they saying? They want to commit a genocide. They want to eliminate all the Jews. They want to drive every Jew into the sea. They don't want Israel to exist, period. And unfortunately, the powers of the world and the West are cooperating with them. The Biden administration. Why? Because, listen to me, every institution of man today is controlled by Satan. Make no mistake about that. But God 
God's plan and God's purposes will not be thwarted, will they? No, 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 no. God will come. Look what it says here. They shall no longer be prey for the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. Those people acted like wild beasts on October the 7th, didn't they? We're, 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 having, we're discovering more information about what they... And then, and then the way in which they treated these, these hostages, these captives. It's so barbaric. And then that, that, that beautiful red-headed family, the mom, the toddler, and the infant. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but... They're beasts. They're animals. But God is going to deliver them from these beasts and from these animals. Nor shall any, excuse me, uh, verse 29, I will raise up for them a garden of renown. Paradise reclaimed. When, when God created our first parents, what were their names? Adam and Eve. It wasn't Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Adam and Eve, yeah. Our first parents. And what did he place them in? A garden paradise. The whole world was like a garden paradise. Like a, the water vapor barrier that so encircled the whole globe took out all of that, that violent weather, the ultraviolet rays of the sun that would be so harmful that we call the aging process. The, the whole world was like a, like a greenhouse, like a garden. We're going to return to that. That's what he's talking about here. Paradise restored. Paradise was lost, but it will be restored, and God is the one who do it. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. For thus they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. With who? Israel and they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God. Thus says the Lord God. Don't let anybody tell you that, that God doesn't have a future plan for the Jewish people and for the nation of Israel. He does, but it pertains to this life, this world, okay? The plan that God has for the church is heavenly. It's spiritual. The plan for Israel is earthly. It's temporal. Well, it's going to be eternal eventually. But they're mutually exclusive from one another. When you study the scriptures, it's clear. And we're seeing it be fulfilled. The biggest problem for these replacement theologians, right, these covenant theologians, is the fact that the Jews are back in the land. 1948, a miracle. A nation, can a nation be born in a day? That's what Isaiah declared, and Israel was born in a day. And the ancient... Hebrew language was resurrected. Never before has an ancient language been resurrected. It's just nothing short of a miracle. Hmm. Let's see, 2033, what'll that be? What? 2033, what'll that be? What's significant about 2033? 2,000 years since Christ was crucified, died, and buried, resurrected, and ascended. Two days, you will be stricken, Israel. Two days. But then on the third day, I will bind you. I will heal you. And I will dwell in your sight. We're about to approach the third day, you know. You understand that prophecy in Hosea? Oh, my. I don't have time to go into it now, but I think we've covered it before, haven't we? Yeah. Huh? That's bad news. What's bad news? That means we got a lot longer here than we were. <laughs> Well, well, wait a minute, that's in our reckoning, but, but you know, it, it, what's 10 years? What's, what's 10 years? A drop in the bucket. 10 years is but a vapor. What if, what if it is 10 years? 
Hey, we got 10 years to witness for Christ. We got 10 years to live for the glory of God. Would you say, well, it could be, yeah, back it off seven years. That's right. There you go. There you go. All right, I'm with you. Hey, all right, we worn it, it down next week. He's coming. <laughs> You're to expect his coming at any moment, but to live as if it's a thousand years away. But listen to me, we, we are so close. And then listen, the only thing that's important for you and I is that we truly are living for him. To know him and to make him known. I, I have no, there's, nothing excites me more when I have the opportunity to share my Jesus with someone who doesn't know him as well as I do. And his word. I mean, I just, that's what I live for. Amen? Amen. Pastor David, you got a closing song? Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.